Hello, and welcome to another edition of the DevOps Podcast. As always, the views represented in this podcast are the individuals alone and do not represent the corporation they work for. Thanks and enjoy. podcast <laughs> it's real cheers cheers clinky all right so today i am sitting here with the esteemed uh tamim hurani do i ever pronounce your name correctly you do you give me too correct? much credit every time though i love making you blush <laughs> so for those of you that don't know we've got a uh, we've got a webinar together that's public uh where we talked about yeah. some of the change management stuff which is uh, very very scripted and very focused on work stuff uh, today I wanted to get together with Tamim and just kind of talk about his history, how he got here, uh, his new company that he started with all of his brilliant intellectual property that he created, and uh, just chat, man. I'm in Boston. That's Boston. Where he's Boston. In Boston. We're in Boston. Pack the cat. <laughs> got any chance? We're in Boston, yeah. Right on. It's raining out. Winter's almost here. Yeah. It is. We'll Not be looking back at this in five years and laughing. Yeah. No, I did the thing where I always show up and... Uh, I always forget about seasons, so I got yeah. off the plane and I landed, shorts. and it's like 60 degrees, yeah. and I literally had on like swimming trunk shorts, like yeah. real short ones, and a t-shirt, and You're I was crazy. freezing. Yeah, it's gotten cold. Yeah, I do that about twice a year. Cool, man. So tell us what's up. How you doing? What's up? I'm doing well. Yeah, excited. Thanks for having me. Bring this a little closer. You're always uh, got these creative. Sorry, I'll move a little closer. How's that? That's beautiful. Better. Right there. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, You've always got this cool stuff going on. <laughs> I don't know about the podcast until last night. Was it last night? Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, and then you were blown away when you saw me unpacking all of it. You're like, you brought all that yeah, with you? Yeah, dude. There's, like, there's a lot of stuff here. <laughs> I carry all of it with you. Is it all on video? Is all like, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're nice. recording. Even the, all like the gear? Yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, no, I can only see like my laptop. But anyway. Yeah, no, there's a... It's a dedication. <laughs> That's what it is. No, it sounds great. I sound good, right? Yeah, man. <laughs> Sultry. Yeah, how did it all start? Um, it's been fun. I think we worked at EMC together at some point. Yeah, I think we did overlap. We, we didn't know about it, uh, which is, I mean, that's like half of EMC, right? Right. No one knows you're there at the same time. You're too um, busy traveling. Yeah, I didn't do much traveling there. I ran I ran operations, so I was kind of... You ever been to the, uh, the when they take customers around to the big... Uh, IT office and they show them the big the war room and the knock and all that crazy stuff. It was pretty cool actually. Like the EBC room. yeah, stuff? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. So I did the EBC stuff. Um, yeah, I did the, <clears throat> I did that for uh, a couple years, three years, four years. Learned nice. a lot there. Did a lot of uh, uh, virtualization was new at the time. Got into my uh, networking world. Bit of bit of a, a security Cisco. I was a Cisco guy at one point. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So that was uh, 2010, right after college, and then uh, moved to PTC. Here to PTC. Yeah, I left there right at 2008. That's when we started okay. the startup reseller. Yeah, bunch of so us XEMCers. Yeah. I missed you by by two years. 
I was there, I was interning there in 09, and then I started my work uh, in 2010. Nice. Yeah, so that was there. Then went to uh, Pete Parametric. I don't know if you heard of them, out of Needham. <laughs> um, they, used, they, they were the first company to invent uh, CAD before oh, AutoCAD. Really? Yeah. No kidding. It's called Creo. Oh, very cool. And it's still used by all the big guys, uh, manufacturing, um, all the big, uh, like the really intense uh, CAD companies use Creo. No kidding. Which I learned there. Yeah. Pretty cool stuff. Um, motorcycles, KTM uses them, all the big guys. Um, I ran their cloud division for just under a year. It's actually funny how I joined Wayfair because I went from there to Wayfair. <clears throat> but there was, um, Wayfair had these like really crazy referral bonuses. Oh, yeah. So someone reached out to me on LinkedIn and said, hey, uh, you interested in joining Wayfair? And I was like, nah, I just moved to this job. I'm good. And it's been a few months. I'm not ready to move. And the next day, the recruiter reached out and said, hey, I heard you were connected with so-and-so and you're really excited to come meet the team. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm going to stay put to go on to come in a couple hours, talk to the team, see everything. I was like, all right, fine. So I came in, met I think six or eight people that day. Very, very serious interview process. Um, and I left there thinking, wow, I think I want to work here, which is pretty cool. That is very cool. Uh, and so joined Wayfair in 2015, I think. Um, to, yeah, end of December 15. And uh, that was best work experience I've ever had. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the, the talent there, the it was intimidating walking in there. I still remember walking in there and, and just talking to all the engineers was like, wow, this place is like top, top, top talent. And, uh, and I was fortunate to have been there and, and learned from all the people around me. I think <clears throat> if it wasn't for my three years there, I would not have been where I am today. Uh, not this company, not the DevOps knowledge, not the exposure I had. And, and there's still so much, so much more to gain um, if I had stayed there longer, right? And I think we were just talking about this. If I ever find myself looking for a job again, I'd go right back to Wayfair. Um, just a great team, great culture. Um, very, very, uh, um, very curious. The, the the engineering group there is just everyone's curious. Everyone wants to learn. Um, and I think that's the, the, this is just a great, great culture, right? Um, and I I, uh, I I don't give them enough credit. The two founders, Stephen Neeraj, I still see them around town sometimes. Great people, super humble, um, and they've they've really put together a great company. That's awesome. So I don't know if everybody knows your history, but uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about how you created a lot of the founding DevOps work with ServiceNow? And you know, I, I tell everybody that you kind of invented or you're one of the big pioneers of chat ops because in the DevOps space, that's like that's an architecture that we heard about, but no one really yeah. ever accomplished it. And then when I first saw your reference architecture, somebody, I think it was Zaki, sent it to me. Yeah. He's like, hey, check out the work that this guy just did. And I'm like, that's chat ops. That makes sense. I'm like, that's yeah. the first time I've ever seen it. And I'm like, does it work? And he's like, it's actually working. And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So you were, I kind of give you the props as being one of the leading guys. Uh, I can't take it. If space. anything, it was the engineers on our team at the time. Um, yeah, I definitely can't take credit for it. But the, the idea is, the concept is, um, so I always say chat's the one UI, the universal UI that everyone understands. Yeah. No one needs to learn how to use chat. I, I'm still blown away by Slack. Like oh, fantastic. Like I, I always thought it was just another chat program, which at this point, when I joined ServiceNow, we had three. And I'm like, yeah, one more. another chat program? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why do I want to use this one? Well, this one's cool. You can do like Giphy, Space, yeah. and then type. And I'm just like, that's not come that on, impressive. Man. Like, come on. 
But then when I learned what you were doing, I'm all like, wait, it can yeah. do all of that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that was crazy. So tell us a little bit, because I don't think anybody else, other than you know the folks that know oh, you I'm know. I'm sure people have used it. It's um, it's, it's just the concept of not having to context switch and go jump from UI to UI. Like, I think that what you're referencing is the uh, the ServiceNow chat ops uh, bot, which is now actually on the store. We've released it um, on, the, on the ServiceNow store as a bot you can download and use. But the idea being is you don't need to log into ServiceNow to interact with ServiceNow. You can do it straight from Slack or Microsoft Teams. Um, and conceptually, it applies to anything, right? I mean, you can do it for Trello. You can do it for Jira. You can do it for all these other tools. But you, you do everything from one UI, which is Slack or Teams, right, or chat. Um, and you save a ton of time. Like, I've seen, I've seen chat ops implementations where people are running commands on servers from Slack. That's incredible. You just go around like a, whatever, like a DF or a, whatever, like an aux, PS, anything. And the response comes right back to Slack and you don't even need to log into a server. It's the, yeah, the use cases are, are just crazy, the stuff that's been out there. So how do you operate DevOps through like CICD? Because when I looked at your reference architecture, it was like pretty much the entire communications bus is done Slack. through Slack. Yeah, so totally. How do you do that? Like how does the operational flow work? So inbound and outbound, some of the stuff you don't need to kind of, you don't need to talk to, you just need to know about, right? So that's like, do st- I just query Jira and say, hey, give me the next story that's assigned you to could. me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th- there's, then there's like the janky integrations that are all command line, which like <laughs> you have to remember all the commands and you got to use help. And then it just feels like you're back in like, in like <laughs> Windows 95. Right. Um, or DOS, right? Um but then there's the good ones that are UI based and like buttons and, and interfaces. Those are the ones that really make life easy. Um, the, the, the command line based ones are a little tough. Um, you can, st- it's just a bot. You're just like, it's literally commands, like a slash, giphy, and a text. Right, right. That's what it is, right? Um, but then the, the better ones where you can like click on a drop down menu and you can see what Jira project you're in, you can navigate and you can. Uh, show a list of all open Jira tasks as part of that project. And it's all UI within Slack. But the nice thing is... Does it iframe that? How does it bring it in the UI? The or do you have it's to customize not. it? Exactly. It's a bot. You oh, have to nice. build a Slack bot, bot. But the UI for the Slack bot is the same. Oh, cool. So a drop-down menu looks the same regardless of what's on the back end. Right? So the, this, we've all seen the Slack drop-down and the Slack buttons. Oh, yeah. They all look the same. Even though you're interacting with so many different applications on the back end, that's the magic. I think that's the magic. Right. You only have to teach people one UI. Right. Exactly. And then you know you know what you're pulling out of Jira. So you don't have to think about that. It's just how do I navigate? And the navigation is the same every single time. So it, it's really, really powerful. I think that, I think that's the future of a lot of, a lot of work operations. The thing is, a lot of people don't, un, you don't unlock that until you start using it. Yeah. Once you start using it, you're like, holy shit. Holy cow, sorry. Yeah. I have said that. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I'll beep it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is unfiltered. That's the nice part about it. It is. Cool, nice. I can say whatever I want. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get too carried away. Then I'll <laughs> With <to>. moderation. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, no, chat ops for sure. That's... Um, I, I don't think anyone can argue that anymore. Maybe when it first came out, there was a lot of like, hey, this is just chat. It's cool chat. It works well. It syncs with my phone. Right. But once you get into like the actual use cases and bots, it's I don't know how many how many bots are there on on the Slack workplace right now. I don't know. I have it's no idea. Hundreds, if not thousands. I am actually not a Slack expert. That's why I'm just just blown the away. Slacks, like, yeah. holy cow, you guys use that for everything? Like, <laughs> yeah. well, Microsoft Teams is pretty good too now, relative yeah. to to Skype. <clears throat> it's um that I mean I was impressed. We when we built that bot, it was pretty flexible, usable. It, it wasn't it wasn't that much different than what Slack had out there. 
No, it's like somebody kind of poked that bear and woke him up. I think between Box and Slack, yeah. like uh, if you look at, we, we switched back to OneDrive recently, but I, at first I was like, no, we can't go back to OneDrive. It doesn't do versioning. It doesn't do this. Does... And then I started using the new version. I'm like, oh my God, wait, no, it does do that. They they got all these ideas now. Yeah, totally. So yeah, they've, they've pretty well matched parity for feature. They've come a long way. I think Microsoft the last five years has been oh, yeah. for Microsoft. Like Azure, you look at Azure, Azure DevOps, the tool suite. Oh, that whole ADL fantastic. piece is oh, huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Really good tool. Like they, they'll they'll go head to head with Jenkins, no problem, with Bitbucket, GitLab. It's it's very comparable. Yeah, it, I mean <clears throat> ever since college I know there was the uh, you know, you kinda of had the snobs that were like Java and C programmers yeah. and then yeah. you had, Oh, you're a .NET developer yeah, and don't it's talk like to me. <laughs> right. And then when I was in college, I tell this story. I think I told it with Chris Pope, so I don't want to tell it again. But it was basically, I had a professor that uh, kind of schooled me, gave me some humble pie, and he's like, "Oh, you think that?" Because I was, you know, I was doing, the, I was towing the line, the cool kid line of yeah. the only good programmers can write in C. And he's okay. like, "He's like, yeah, really?" He goes, "Okay, well, let's have a competition. We'll both write a, a web browser." And this is literally '96. So, um, and he goes, you use, you know, C, you write your own yeah. custom browser, and I'm going to go ahead and use Visual Basic. Yeah. And he goes, and we'll race. And he goes, do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I was like, dude, it's going to take me a month. Yeah, exactly. And he goes, oh, okay, then I'll go first. He sits down, yeah. he brings up Visual Basic. It was, yeah, Visual Studio back in the day. It was 4.0 yeah. Visual Basic. Instantiates the Internet Explorer, you know, yeah. library, and then boom, 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 drags a couple buttons, changes a couple things, and he goes, okay, I'm done. Like six minutes. And he goes, okay, your turn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I go, dude, it's going to take me forever. Like, And he goes, yeah, so if I'm a company and I'm hiring two different developers, am I going to hire the guy or, that can get it done in six minutes or the or guy that's going to take month. months? Yeah, totally. And uh, yeah, that was an eye-opener. It was a slap in the face. I was like, okay, maybe I need to pay attention to you. Yeah, their they're, they're, they're presence with the Linux, I mean, they're just Alcow, I don't know if you come across that, Linux containers on Windows. It's a whole new... <laughs> It's just basically Linux. That's what it is. Linux containers on Windows host. You don't longer have to go deploy uh, RHEL or CentOS or whatever wow. to run Linux containers. You can actually run on Windows, and, and that alone is like to the, the Windows community. It's like, all right, well, I don't need to learn Linux anymore. Right. I can just run it right now, and it's, I think it's part of the 2019 uh, suite. But I ran into a customer talking about that. I think last month, and he's like, "Hey, what are you guys doing? Any work with Alcal?" I was like, "What, what the hell is Alcal?" Right. And you look into it, wow, it really does work. Like they're doing container, uh, Docker, Windows, they're doing all sorts of cool stuff. It's uh, it's not much different anymore. No. I mean, I remember being at VMware years ago and uh, what year was that? It would have been like 2012, probably. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, at the time, our CEO was, um, God, I can't remember names. G uh, Gelsinger? No, Gelsinger? prior to Gelsinger. He went over to Rand Pivot. Uh, Moritz. Yeah, Moritz. Moritz. He was such a nice guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I have so many cool stories about just how humble he was. Like he was standing in line with all the rest of us at VMworld one year and the concierge like figured out who it was because everybody had whispered like, that's yeah. our CEO, go get it. And uh, so the concierge like races out there and he's like, I'm good. I can stand in line just with everybody else. And he refused to like get yeah, special totally. treatment. Yeah, awesome. It just made him cool. Yeah. But at one point he was saying that the operating system is no longer going to be a control point yeah. in, in it like five years. And so he was just, he was already seeing a world where like, and it was right after like the iPad had started really changing uh, things. And so yeah. he saw that and he was like, at some point, we're not going to care about an operating system. We are it's, going to get to a point where we running. only care about the apps that yeah. are running and nothing underneath matters. Running, yeah. And he kind of called that. And then, dude, now I look at infrastructure. I mean, I've been out of the infrastructure game now for about four years, yeah. but uh, I still follow it at a distance. But yeah. 
when I look at Kubernetes and I look at all these things, it's yeah, just it's like exactly what it is. you don't even need an operating system. Yeah. You just need like throw this out in the cloud yeah. and it'll run. And if um, it breaks, it'll fix itself, right? Yeah, it'll shoot itself insane. in the head and start again. Yeah, yeah. it's crazy. Yeah, and from the days at VMware, we were we were envisioning all of that. We just it hadn't yeah. become a reality. So, yeah. So since you're much more in the weeds with customers, how much uh, you're working with a lot of the what I would call regulated companies, it, yeah. which is phenomenal for me because we use Wayfair. I mean, I talk about it every day, like as just one of the unicorns, the DevOps right. unicorns oh, totally. that Gene talks about continually. Um, but you're also working with all of the horses. So I'm curious, like <laughs> ponies, donkeys. <laughs> you know, horses are cool. I yeah. didn't want. I didn't want to go donkey. Too far. Um, <laughs> Many are still donkeys, but um, but no. I mean, I, it's curious to me. Like, how many of these companies do you see successfully adopting these modern technologies? You know, they're very steps? they're very progressive. They're a lot more progressive than we give them credit for. Um, and I think what happens is there's a lot of there's like pockets of it that's not very widely adopted because of the regulatory requirements, but. Once you start digging into these different pockets, there's super, super smart people at these places right. that are just, they have to work in particular environments or they're shielded by their by their leadership or they're told, hey, you know, go figure it out. I'll worry about the politics or whatever. And that's where you kind of come to, to a crossroads of, all right, how do we make this really good talent shine without pissing off the regulators and, and all that stuff, right? And but but the and it's funding because banks have great funding right and it's like hey if I don't invest PayPal is going to come after me or mm-hmm. Venmo is going to come after whoever right there's going to be the next big thing um, so they invest a lot of money and they have some really really smart people like they're the first time I ever saw um, you were talking about this yesterday um, uh, development developer portal mm-hmm. right so a new yeah. developer developer comes in they want to spin up their environment blah, blah, blah. the first time I saw it built by I think a top five bank in the world. They have they can spin up a developer environment in fifteen seconds, pipeline, repositories, contain, dev container, everything. Fifteen seconds, one command line. You hit it, you get back all your payloads. That's incredible. And, and it's like, well, there's nothing out there that does that today, right? They're saying there's Is no. Is that that open source project we were talking about? No, it's not open source. It's closed source. Oh, I got you. It's internal, yeah. Um, that's the same one. I don't know. We can share notes okay, offline. Fair enough. Um, but it's it, the I thought there's there, one that's right? open source that's run by like a financial services company started it and then it's open. I thought it was open source. It's like a UI for that stuff. But the, yeah. Go. So theirs is an UI. Theirs is a, a command line. Oh, I gotcha. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. Different it runs. It's, it's an OpenShift, Jenkins, Bitbucket. Um, like two, like I think you deployed Artifactory. Some, some like you get your own, you get your own dev environment. You're ready to go, right? That's done. amazing. It runs like locally on containers, and if you're ready to do it, you you generate your your Docker image and you just drop it in Artifactory, and something picks it up and Terraform puts it somewhere. That's awesome. We were pretty close to that at the bank, but like I said, we just kept hitting the regulatory problems yeah. of getting through change right. and release management. It was a nightmare. Right. So. So that's where we came into play, right? It's like, hey, I have this great thing, but we can't use it to go to prod because we got to fill out this change form every single time and then enter DevOps, enter the DevOps product. Um, and I think that's where kind of we all met, right? Yeah, yeah. And that, that crossroads of DevOps. Yeah, well, I mean, I spend all day in marketing. So the thing yeah. that I love talking to you is that, uh, you know, half the stuff I'm saying could be made up. You know, everybody thinks that anyway because I'm in marketing. But what I love to hear is when you tell the real world stories about oh, yeah. how our yeah. product really is helping people. Um, and this isn't a product pitch at all. It's just, it's really cool when I hear you say like, no, these guys really overcame X with, by doing this. And yeah. Oh, and then totally. of course I tell those stories every day, but uh, you're it's, the one that actually gets to live them. It's a, uh, it's great to see, um, 
so it's, it's nice to see that your your change approvers and your change managers are happy but it's, it's a lot more rewarding when you see your developers and they're like holy cow you just saved me a lifetime of filling out forms you don't understand how great this is right and and like it developers are generally smart people like they, right. they they like to build things and they're very in the weeds and it's not easy to impress developers it's like but it's not easy to impress developers with service now right yeah. but then you come in and you're like hey here's a solution that's gonna make your life easier and you see their face light up and when it starts working they're like yeah yeah more commits more commits yeah this is working right you want to test yeah we'll keep testing and they're super engaged and you're like wow this really does work and 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 there's a need for it and these developers want to get out they want to get out of the business of filling out forms right and uh yeah that's the statistics i was talking about yesterday um so i spend most of my time talking to analysts now when i'm not presenting or yeah, you know yeah. out on the road but uh, some of the numbers i got back were just insane to me and i've you know i've memorized them just because they are so like that's crazy yeah. but uh, the one that kills me is that uh, it said 61 percent of developers spend less than four hours a day writing code which was just yeah. like that's insane. Like, yeah. And when I think back to the days at the bank, I'm like, that's probably pretty damn sense. accurate. Like, yeah, totally. And then the second part was, and we were joking about this yesterday with the whole group, but uh, the, uh, the second big statistic was that 70% of development that's done yeah. is keeping the lights on or yeah. stuff that's being rewritten yeah. that is not value add to like innovation or anything else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only th- so like then the- you start thinking about it, you're like, okay, so wait, four hours a day. Like they're spending then sixty percent of their time, so they're like one hour a day. They're actually like writing innovative, creative, yeah. innovative things. Yeah. Um, and then that's when I s- shared this story with you guys. I was like, "Do you know how many PDF generators we had at the bank?" Oh, <laughs> and everybody was like, 60, 50? I'm like, "There were fifteen hundred," yeah. uh, and everybody just gasped because it's like, "What?" Yeah. And I used to make a joke when I was at the bank was like, "If you could get every one of our developers, all thirty thousand, into a stadium and then have everybody raise." Who here spent more than a you know a week writing a PDF generator? You yeah. have fifteen hundred people raise their yeah. hands. It's like, what a waste. You know what's but, funny is we just started working with a customer that wants to convert a PDF generator into a change form, and they're in the financial industry. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's a so big it's thing real. with all the e doc. I mean, we were still taking faxes. I mean, it yeah, was, it was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a different different era. Well, no, they still do. Oh, really? Yeah. Long yeah. story, and I don't know if I can actually share that. I might get in trouble, but. Let's just say they figured out they charge people for facts. Yeah. And they figured out that as a revenue generation stream, it makes X amount of money. So keep it. And the cost to rewrite it to, to is go more. is more than, and it would lose that revenue stream. stream. So it just made no sense. So they just keep faxes around. Wow. Yeah. It was insane. I just, I just heard of a company, I think it was a week or two weeks ago, that got breached. Oh, they got ransomware. And they went out and bought every fax in Europe. And they use those to communicate because they didn't have the ability to, they didn't want to pay like the, the Bitcoin or whatever, the, the, the crypto they were asked for the ransomware. So they just went out and bought every single fax they get their hands on. That's incredible. Yeah. It's still around there. It works. Dude, ransomware scares the heck out of me. Yeah, it's real, dude. It's very, very real. Like I have so many computers that like, and that would never matter. I mean, I went cloud yeah. on everything, but if they somehow get into my cloud account, you're done. Then like You're all done. my stuff is, yeah. is up. But that, that's, that's more flexible, though, right? Like, you, there's ways to like uh, prove your identity. And, like, cl- like big cloud companies will work with you, right? But yeah, if if for whatever reason you're locked out, you're in trouble. Yeah, but like once a year, I try and pull everything into physical hard drives that I keep in a safe. I'm a little neurotic about it, but yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, but so that's a good question, kind of a good segue. So we've we've been dancing around this within ServiceNow as well as a lot of the customers I talk to. 
you know, it's interesting to see for me in still in DevOps, you know, just to frame this thought, like I've been to so many conferences this year. Sure. And it's like I go to these agile conferences and it's a different group of people than I go to a DevOps conference yeah. to then I go to like a Jenkins world. Yeah. And you go, you kind of run the gamut of like the persona that you see at the agile conference are typically what used to be project managers and are now product managers yeah. or some part of a PMO. Yeah. And then you have everybody at the DevOps conferences are like, they're the ones that are kind of part of the COE, Center of Excellence or sure. type of the group. Sure. And then like at the Jenkins conference, it's all developers. Yeah. But Devs. when you're talking to all of them, they're still very just disjointed. Oh, and yeah. it shocks totally. me because I'm like, I thought DevOps was like 10 years old and I thought everybody was tearing down silos and everybody's coming together. And it's kind of shocking to me that there's still such a division between the teams. Are yeah. you seeing that more and more? Or are you starting to see teams come together? Um... I don't, it's not, it's, it's the nature of that space, right? I don't, I don't see it as a bad thing. Yeah. Um, that, like, the, disjointed just means, hey, developers want to be in the weeds writing code. They don't really care for how they're being assigned tasks, right? And then mm -hmm. you get to the product manager, the product manager, yeah, yeah I got to make sure that whatever my customer is asking for, I can prioritize. And, and I'm oversimplifying every single one of these roles, right? Yeah. But hey, I mean, you look at like uh, Eric, kind of Eric Reese, right? <laughs> Eric Reese's feedback loop. What's it called? The Lean Startup. I don't gotcha. know if you that book. And that's what he says, right? Is, is just keep a tight feedback loop and, and make sure you keep iterating, right? And a developer just wants to write cool code. So you give a developer a task, and okay, what's the most efficient way I can write this piece of code? In like 30 lines instead of 200 lines. They don't care, I mean, of course, they care what they're working on, but I mean, nine out of ten times, they just want to write cool code. Uh, if a product manager says, "Hey, this sprint, you're going to work on these with these other people," like, "All right, cool, let's work together and build cool." Why this? Why we decided to work on this feature instead of that feature, or why we're prioritizing this? It's, I mean, that's what the product manager works on, right? right. Then the product manager doesn't care how the code's written. You give me my code, and it works, and it does what I ask it to. I don't care if it's a line or seven hundred lines, right? right, right. It's like, so it's not. I don't think it's that bad. Like the separation of of roles, yeah, it it is it is separated, but I don't think it's a bad thing, right? It's I mean, I, I think back at Wayfair. I mean, you had technical product managers that may have been developers in the past, and I still don't think as long as like the the code isn't impacting performance, it doesn't really matter how the code's written, right? If you're writing the same feature and one takes seven seconds to load and one takes a second to load, yeah, of course it's going to be a conversation. But if both take a second to load and one's seven hundred lines, one's two hundred lines. No one cares. The developer's really into making it 150 lines, right? Right. So that's, I mean, that's what, or like using new libraries or using something the, their friend told them about, or like that's, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. But yeah, they are very distributed. Like Jenkins World is all developers. How do I deploy code faster? Yeah. And even, even probably at that, at that conference is probably how do I shrink my, my build times from 30 minutes to 25 minutes to 20 minutes, right? And that, that becomes another, uh, I remember when I was at Wayfair, one of the bigger things was, it got to a point there's just so many builds happening. It would take like, and so many tests running, it would take like 30 to 35 minutes <clears throat> per build. Um, and then the, the guys on the plat, uh, development platforms team, DevPlats, they did they went back and made some changes, whatever, and now the, the builds were like a two and a half minute build and all the developers think thought something was broken. It's like, how do we go from 35 minutes to two and a half minutes? No, no, something's wrong, run it again, run it again. I was like, yeah, it's still two and a half minutes. And they're like, guys, this is the new normal. It works. It's like, so, so you're nerding out on different things. And like the product manager doesn't give a crap, right? You're still trying to make things better. Uh, so yeah, it's it's different. It's different personas, but I don't I don't think they'll all become kumbaya. Interesting. Support. Yeah, no, I was just you know we, we talk about the pizza box teams, right? Of just getting all the yeah. people in the war room together working. Yeah. Um, 
And that's why I was curious if you if you see more of that or if you just like it sounds like you see more of the developers just want to be writing yeah, code. Totally, that's fine. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. It doesn't have to be like a, a hunky dory uh, birthday party. Everyone's gonna do their own thing. Did you ever see? Uh, did you ever watch Silicon Valley? I mean, I'm sure you did. Yeah, yeah, that was a good show. I've only watched the first, I think, two seasons. Uh, but it, I use, I literally have snippets of the video that I sometimes like will show people where I'm just like talking about you know, agile teams and having them work on Kanban and like all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When they're doing that whole thing, uh, uh, you, and half the stuff you can't use at work because it's so yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it's just so much funny because he's like, I thought I was writing the network stack. He's like, no, I've been writing the network stack. And then they're, they're just not communicating. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. they're both totally. working on the same code. Totally. Then they hire that kid that comes in, that like long hair wunderkind guy. that ends up, you know, saying, I'll, I'll fix everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Because do you know how the internet works? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Line, yeah. Do you know how the internet works? <laughs> yeah, that show's amazing. But it's a good show. I haven't watched enough of it, though. I've probably seen, like, maybe 10, 10 episodes yeah. in total, yeah. I, I It was dragging for me, and I was kind of like, no. But then the, the season finale to season one was so hysterically funny mm. that I literally was like, this is the best show I've seen. Watching, this was yeah. so good. Yeah, it's a good show. And then I haven't gotten back to it since, like, I, I'm not even sure I watched the second season, but... The season finale for episode one, I tell everybody you have to go watch it because it's the funniest bit nice. of television I've ever seen. Nice. Um, but anyway, so tell us more about the, uh, you know, this, I don't even know that we've really fully explained it for anybody, but, you know, you wrote this whole system, leveraging ServiceNow as kind of the service management layer. Yeah. You had Slack as your primary, you know, system of engagement, UI, yeah, UI and engagement yeah. layer. Um, and then you were basically using that to run all of your CI/CD at Wayfair. Is that is that an accurate statement or close? Uh, a lot. Everything. Not every. Everything ran through Slack. Most everything ran through Slack. Yeah, absolutely. It was. Um, it's. Uh, we we use ServiceNow in a very I, I say unorthodox way, right? We never used the UI. Everything was integrated through uh, ServiceNow. It was all kind of API to API driven. A lot of webhooks, event based, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but but yeah, that that's where it all started. Like this whole product that we talk about today, that's really where it all started. And it was we were working with um, a couple guys at ServiceNow. It was um, uh, Sean Millen. I don't. Do you know Sean? Oh yeah, Millen? I know Sean really well. Sean Millen, Ruben. I don't think Ruben's left. Yeah, he was He's there gone. too. Ruben Stump. Um, and Alex, Alex Mattel, and Ben Sawyer was involved as well. That's awesome. You know Ben. It's literally the old VMware crew. We all work together. Yeah, at exactly. Yeah. So we were like brainstorming back and forth, and it was a really, really janky solution at the time. Like, it didn't work, and we went back and forth and spent a ton of time troubleshooting. But we got it to a point where it was functional and usable, and I think it was like GitLab, Jenkins. There was no project management at the time. It was just like all the like the core uh, uh, tooling piece, and then we were just gathering data and piecing it all together, and um, and it was all hands off. You didn't do anything through the UI. You didn't even need. You didn't even know it was running in the background, right? It just just did its thing around the background, and it was there if you ever needed it. No, so. I actually I've been joking about that. Not to interrupt you, but it's uh, you know pipeline visualizations come yeah. in like one seven one eight ish time frame. But I I've been telling Anand Ahira, who's our product engineering manager, uh, he runs all the dev for this product. But I was telling him, I'm like, I cannot wait till we get a pipeline visualization so I can actually demo our software because I yeah. spend most of my days demoing GitHub Jenkins. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> I never go to our interface yeah. unless I'm showing you what like. But that's what a happened. selling point, right? No, I know it's as a cool. developer, you're like, hey, just grab your laptop, do your thing. Don't worry about going into ServiceNow. And, and that's great. Like, devs love that. Just yeah. work out of Slack, like we say, right? Right. Eliminating swivel chair was like the first. Yep. I mean, 
four years ago when I joined this company, that was what they said. I was like, so what does ServiceNow really do? Like, we eliminate the swivel chair between systems. We yeah. automate and orchestrate. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And now I get it. And, it's that's like, all, and that's all in Slack, right? A layer above. Like ServiceNow and Jenkins and Bitbucket and Jira is like that's incredible. abstracted. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to, uh, I want to come see more demos of that stuff. Fully. Slack stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should. We don't do enough enough uh, marketing it. We probably should do something around that. <laughs> it's really, everyone that's used like, holy crap, this is super hard. We, we showed it to someone yesterday. I, showed it, I can't remember who showed it to. Might have been John da- John Downs. Yeah. He was like, wow, this is really useful. Like, th- this is, and yeah, it's useful. I mean, it helps, right? Um, it just makes life easy. Well, I sit in, so I sit in all the marketing <clears throat> meetings that we have where we're trying to figure out. So, for those of you that don't know, and who, God knows when I'm actually going to get this posted because I'm way behind. Um, but hopefully it'll be before we GA, which is the end of October. Ah. Uh, so <laughs> if the uh, if that happens, then before we GA, we're actually GAing product at the end of this month. And so uh, the idea there is that um, we'll actually be doing a controlled GA of it in the store and releasing this code finally yep. that we've been talking about for a year. Um, and yeah, so it's it's going to be really exciting to see that and to demo it and to get it you know more of that out there. But from a marketing perspective, we keep sitting in the me- these meetings like doing go-to-market planning. Yep. And, what are our banners going to say? What are our things going to say? And I was yeah. like, I wish I could just write, like, we take all the crap that the developers don't want to do, and we do off it. the table. Yeah. Like, and, that, and so I just keep repeating that in meetings because they're like, so what do you, how would you summarize what we're doing? I'm like, dude, developers That's hate it. Developers hate all this minutia of paperwork, of filling out forms, sitting in CAD meetings, doing all this other stuff. I'm like, we just get rid of all that. Yep. yep. And, and so I don't know how you want to gussy that up with marketing, but. We're just exactly making their it. life better. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's, yeah. uh, you hit on it. You're like, yeah, why don't you tell the developers that they don't have to do this? Like, uh, <laughs> how can I help you build this faster? <laughs> right. Yeah, we just, we're doing that this morning with, the, with one, of the, one of the early adopter customers. Like, oh, I, I, it's like, I created a script to run test commits. So I don't have to keep doing it. Just let me know whenever you want. I'm just going to hit go, go, go. <laughs> I was like, all right, great. That's awesome. But they, it works. Right? They just want it to work and it makes life easy for sure. Very cool. So tell us more about this uh, the bot that you put up in the store. Uh, I haven't even seen it yet, and I know I really want to talk to you about the uh, the other controversial piece because we can spend some good time on that. The but... Controversial piece. Oh uh, yeah, the karma. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Let's yeah. We'll get, let's to, your, table we'll that. get to your other super innovative thing. Which no, is, that's which is awesome. Yeah, so it, that's actually we, we that's that Google Google was doing that in like 08 or 09. I don't know if you remember. They're actually using it to rate their developers, <clears throat> and then at some point stopped doing it. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, it's counterintuitive, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But they they were using data to kind of measure dev, developer performance. I, mean, they, I don't think they call it developer karma. Um, we call it developer karma because of Reddit, which is pretty cool. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and we trademarked the name developer karma, which is also pretty cool. Oh, I didn't know that. I better stop using it. Then. <laughs> you can use it all you want. I'm just paying my royalties. <laughs> I love it. Uh, no, it's it's uh, back back to the bot. Yeah, back go back to, to the bot. bot first, and then we'll get to the karma thing. Bot, it's um, so it's it's essentially um, it, it hooks up Microsoft Teams. Or it does just go, but the bot hooks up to your ServiceNow instance. And anytime, uh, as a ServiceNow user, anytime you need to take action on something ServiceNow, you no longer have to do it through ServiceNow. You can do it through the bot. So uh, let's say um, you've got a team, and someone requested a new laptop, and you got to go approve it. You just do it from Slack. Or you want to update work notes and say, hey, you're too early. You can't do that. You do it from Slack. You don't have to go into ServiceNow. You don't have to reply to an email, right? You can do it through email today. There's a few different ways to do it. It just comes right to your Slack chat, right? And then if you're if you're uh, working on incidents, if you're in IT, if you're uh, in an AUX somewhere and you get an incident to work on, same thing. You could reassign it from Slack. You could um, 
uh, close it from Slack, update work nodes, change the status code, all that stuff. It's just essentially the workspace in Slack, so you don't have to dive into uh, into ServiceNow. So that's, that's the, the bot was built on the premise of uh, use chat ops where you can. Uh, one of the interesting things we found is approvals that are done through the bot take less than 14 minutes on average. Approvals done through email take 17 hours. Wow. Just because they're going through email. Oh, I'm going to be repeating that everywhere. Yeah, it's and <laughs> it's the, the, uh, uh, the product or the bot ships with a dashboard. So when you download and install it, there's a dashboard out of the box that shows you all your stats. Oh, that's awesome. And it very, you can very quickly start to see if something was done through the bot. It's way, way, way quicker than something that's done through Slack, uh, through email or through, through the UI. That's awesome. Uh, back when I first got to ServiceNow, Frank Slootman had just taken over as CEO and he talked about our mobile app and yep. notifications and approvals. And he's, he always talked about this concept of data following you and chasing yep. you down. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was always cool because he lived in like the world where he would show up at work as an executive and there'd be real manila inner office memos in his oh, yeah. inbox. And he would spend all day opening an envelope, reading it, writing whatever edits, putting it in his outbox. Yep. And, uh, He's like, all we did was digitize that same crappy manual process, yeah. uh, and we call it email. Now he goes, but it's this all day long. You're buried in Exchange, yeah. looking at Outlook, opening Manila envelopes, writing yeah. notes to it, and then you know. that's very true, right? It's not very different. It's just electric, electric, electronic, electronic. Yeah, well, electric. if you're using the fancy new word, it's digital. <laughs> digital, yeah. Sorry, come on. Digital, yeah. <laughs> get with the get with the times, right? I'm getting right, old. right. Yeah, it's true. It has it has the process is the same, right? It's just. Uh, just behind the screen now. Well, he sort of was fortune telling a world in the future where we would get away from like email completely. No one would use it anymore. And I've never seen a possible like working interface do that until Until I was using Slack. Yeah, there's pros and cons. Like I I use email when I'm, when it's a serious message, right? When you you want a serious tone or there's something that's formal, then you'd use email. The other thing I don't like. Well, it's kind of like I still write, I handwrite letters when I'm writing them to my wife or my kids. Right. Like, you're it, like, all right. Because there's, there's something very special yeah, about no. putting that, you know. Totally. totally. Plus, we call it a millennial cryptography. I write in cursive so my kids can't read it. Oh, really? They don't know how to read it? <laughs> they really? were never taught cursive. Wow. It's a, we've been teaching them ourselves, but yeah. It's, I don't think I could write cursive anymore. It cramps my hand. Like, we were talking about this. My uh, daughter, well, this is a total side note. But I'm trying to think of like the O, right? Like the O with the thing. Oh, with a little curly? Yeah. Yeah. And then the F, like you go up and F. The Q. Kind of like, I can't do a lowercase Q in my Q. head right now. Q. Yeah, it Q's the O. It's that weird Z uh, thingy. Off topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, and there's a whole other topic for the fact that my, uh, yeah, my eight-year-old uh, is having handwriting challenges. And I keep... My wife and I keep getting arguments because I'm like, she's never going to use it. Yeah, forget it. And I was like, we gave her an You're iPad typing. when she was yeah, two. Exactly. She's used an iPad yeah. since she's two. She's never going to handwrite anything. Yeah, I, I grew up I grew up speaking and, and writing and reading Arabic. And the other day I had to go back. I was, I don't know where we were going somewhere. Oh, we're going to a wedding in Morocco. And I had to give you these cards, right? And you fill out the card. And they're like, I was like, all right, well, I'm an Arab. I can write this in Arabic. And I'm like, wow, it's probably been 10 years since I've had to write in Arabic. And it was it was, it's tough. You got to like think back. How do I do this? Now, this might sound ignorant, but isn't Arabic backwards? Yeah. To English? Well, to I you, it's we, backwards. Right, right, right. To, to us, you, it's English backwards. backwards. Yeah, yeah. Right. I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that whole. It's right yeah. to left. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's got to be confusing because you literally like have to learn how to write. Yeah. The yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's cool. I mean, I, it's it sucks to say that I've forgotten or not forgotten, but it's challenging. It shouldn't be challenging to write. 
But yeah, it's like you're saying, you, you don't need it. You don't use it anymore. Yeah, no. It's all type A. You guys all have a keyboard and you just type it all out. Yeah. It's crazy because my, my wife and I were literally arguing about, do we teach the old way <laughs> to these kids? And her argument was like, well, what if all the technology goes away? What if the power goes out? And I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, Batteries. So, yeah, I'm like, there's so Elon many. Musk will take care of it. Right, right. <laughs> so it's interesting because like I sit there and I'm, it's just so weird. Yeah. But, but I'm thinking, and the only reason this is pertinent to this conversation is, you know, DevOps to me feels this way. It's yeah. like when we talk to people that were born and raised at Wayfair or Google or Yahoo, yeah. you know, they don't see the world. Like if you threw them into a Bank of America and told them to try and work the, the way they oh, yeah. do, they'd be like, I quit. Well, we did. Yeah. That's, I, I think I shared that with you, and I've shared it on the podcast oh, before. Quit. We had a 40% oh, yeah. attrition rate. Totally. Those from the new the hires, place. all Everyone's the new people. Everyone's looking for devs. Yeah. Everyone's looking for developers. No, it's, yeah, it's amazing. Won't stay. And, and, and companies are starting to realize that, right? Like, all right, well, good developers are going to leave if we don't do something about it. Right. And it's just accelerating that whole conversation, for sure. Yep. Yeah, no, to your point, when you said uh, uh, financial services was investing a lot in this week, the very like the interviews I went through, I went through like six or seven interviews because I wasn't convinced that like they really wanted to transform. But every meeting they would pull up Wealthfront, and yeah. they would show, like right on Wealthfront's webpage, it says we don't have a release cycle, we have a deploy button, and it shows the the time of their last, last update deploy. to production. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, it's freaking That's really crazy. Cool. But wow. now think of your Merrill Lynch. You do two updates a year. Yeah, you're <laughs> also were, like. They were, uh, they were really scared. And so that was one of the big initiatives that drove the entire growth of the group that I joined was, yeah. you know, we got we have to fix this. Break it down. Yeah, yeah, you have to break it down. I think at the time, the, the value of why you'd break it down wasn't clear, right? We lived in a world where you're crazy to make changes because changes introduce risk and risk introduce incidents and incidents are bad and blah, blah, blah. But we've gotten comfortable with the, the notion that smaller changes are actually less impactful and if they do break we have faster ways to roll them back right that's the key right the reverts shit hits the fan just revert ab the deploys blue green canary whatever you want to use right buzzword of the buzzword of the year right right but that the focus is now the emphasis on how do i get out faster versus how do i put something bad out there Hmm. especially in like not like if you're saving lives don't do that right? Right, right but like if you're in retail if you're in social media if you're like Banking, maybe UI, you have more leeway over like backend systems, but you start to delineate like where, what are systems that I can do this with, and then start to do it right, and like our feature toggles, right, and and you use those in your code base, and you start using them. There's so many ways to that you 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 need to use technology, and it's one thing I loved about Wayfair is you always use technology to solve your problem, always. The te- technology can solve. And if something fails and something breaks, it's because the technology failed you, not because someone made a mistake. Hmm. You need to build a system in a way where even if someone makes a mistake, the system won't fail. Yeah. So if it does fail, there's something wrong with technology. Go build the system better. And then eventually you get a system that doesn't fail because of human error. And that that mentality really, really resonated. It goes like all of engineering there thinks that way. It's fantastic. That's incredible. It's a good way to think, yeah. It's such a huge difference between that and like a lot of the regulated companies we work with. Of course. They just haven't made that transformation. It's not easy. Like you have to remember Wayfair has been around for 12 years, 13 years. I don't know. It's it's young, right? Right. So, and again, I go back to the founders and the founders were very adamant on take risks, move fast. And also they're in an industry where you're allowed to fail. Worst thing that happens is you don't buy your couch. 
mm-hmm. you come back in five minutes and buy the couch when the site comes back online. If you're saving lives, right, right. Yeah, I don't know. You shut down uh, a hospital like mid surgery, you kill ten people, right? Yeah, so it's actually, a little different. I actually use this. Uh, so I, it's always fun talking to customers because you learn, right? But a story that I learned was. Um, I was talking about the fact that I'm like 85% of changes that flow through an organization are just UI updates. They're low risk. There's yeah. nothing to, and uh, it was a nine one. It was a company that somehow like subbed out nine one one operator work. Oh, and so they were the ones that wrote the software for like dispatch. Yeah, and they're like, yeah, but what you don't realize, and this is the same problem we have with our developers. They'll push something through that's low risk where they're changing the UI, and then all these nine one one operators are Can't typically not real technical people yeah. and they're very used to their interface being a certain way and then all of a sudden you rename the dispatch button to something else yeah. you don't think there's any impact but those dispatch operators then go where do i click to send yeah. somebody out like oh, yeah. and so they were telling me that like you have to be careful by saying that like what you think is low risk yeah. you have to look at the downstream dependencies so totally that's totally fair 100 yeah. percent. yeah i mean there is going to be those systems where it's like there are edge cases, right? Or just don't do it, right? Like I think medicine is one, uh, or pharma, right? Uh, finance is definitely a. Just be aware. What's like Cap One is a great example of how they've gotten around that, right? They do a ton of, of really really high velocity DevOps, and they they built systems for it. They have their their tw- I think twenty step or sixteen step. I don't know what they call it, but if all your checks pass, then you're good to go. And your checks include security scans, include this, that, and the other thing. So there's use technology, right? Lean into technology and. and Use it to your advantage, right? And it doesn't mean simple. Someone the other day said, uh, "Oh, you need a much simpler process to do DevOps. You got to simplify your process, and then you." And I was like, "No, actually, it's a much more complex process. Right? No, it's it really way is. more complex than your change process or whatever. You're meeting twice a week, and somebody's checking a box. It's it's super complicated and super complex, but it's technology and it's automated. It's not human. That's the biggest thing, right? right. We can do." You know, it, it's funny because there's more than one bank that's doing like 16 phase conditional statements yeah. on the. Yeah, so this, yeah, this right. is talking that's about right. our auto approve change request yeah. thing. Yeah. So basically you set conditions in the product that say if these things meet and if, you know, if your test passing is greater than X percent and if you're doing this and if it's this environment, if it's that CI, whatever, it'll automatically approve it. And what's interesting is like what you're saying is what I've seen is not only are we taking it from like 23 days, which is what our average is right now for. Uh, an old school change yeah we're taking it down to less than five minutes but what's insane is yeah we're doing all sorts of stuff that you would never bring to a cab meeting like those financial institutions like did you pass your black duck security scans your semel scan is our code quality up to is this like do you have code review done automatically through this system that's and you know i was just watching a video about um value stream management they were talking about how they've they identified this the biggest problem in their value stream was code review. And I'm like, well, why didn't they just use one of the 20 products in the market to automate yep. code review? <laughs> like, yep. look for bugs. Like, SEML's good. There's a bunch of others oh, out totally. there. Like, and, uh, but it's just interesting to me because now we can add so many automated steps Layers. that we can still approve a change in five minutes that also has like 16 different tools that yep. it's getting data from and checking from. Yep. Whereas in a cab meeting, that would take you two hours to explain. Well, did you run all your black duck scans? What were the results? Well, okay, here they are. Yeah. And well, what's a black duck scan? Because I'm a, <laughs> I'm a I'm a storage guy. And I don't know security. Or I'm a security guy and I don't know virtualization. It's like yeah, yeah. It's very subjective. But Cat the computer, you just say if all of these yeah. conditions meet, go. Non-negotiable, right? Yeah, it's pretty slick. All objective data, data-driven change, data-driven everything. That's awesome. So that's the bot is in the store. That's really cool. The bot's in the store. Yeah, check it out for sure. You get a three-month free trial. 
And so how do we find the bot? It's rapdev.io is the company name, right? Rapdev.io is a website. Yeah, nice. totally check it out. We're going to update the website very soon. Probably the next, probably the website, the new website's going to be live before this goes out. So just go to the website. I can almost guarantee it. <laughs> <laughs> rapdev.io, R-A-P-D-E-V. Uh, the bot's already in the store. Go to the store and search Slack. It'll come up, wrapped uh, nice. up bot, and you can search Microsoft Teams as well. It'll also come up. I'll actually, I'll try and remember to actually put the link in the oh, that'd podcast. Be, yeah, effort. right on. That'd so be we'll sweet. get that out there. Yeah, totally. Um, so what do you think about the second thing? Because that's the thing that I talk about daily karma. for you. Yeah, is, we got to uh, get that on the store. Um, so let's talk about this Def Karma thing because it's, it is the most controversial thing I talk about. Like, I call it controversial because by and large, I've got this presentation of an hour down that I demo like three times a day and yeah. in front of customers yeah, all the yeah, time. Yeah, of course. But the number one rabbit hole thing that I keep getting hit on is yeah. when I show committer score. Yeah. And they're like, oh, wait, how are you calculating? Why is that? And, and yeah. just everybody freaks out about it. And then the story I tell is I was over in EMEA and the Germans are like, nope. No, uh, yeah. Well, I, I guess yeah, I should yeah, say right? nine. <laughs> <laughs> nine. And they were basically saying that like uh, they've got GDP, GDPR rules plus they're all unionized. Yeah. And um, they've got rules in Germany that say if there's any performance data for an individual, it cannot be visible to anybody else on any team. Like yeah. nobody else of their peers can use it. None of their management can like use it against them. Really? Yeah, it was really strict. So they just told me they're like the individual committer score will never fly here. Yeah. And I'm like, well, scratch Germany for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So let's talk about it a little bit. So what it is it's, is it's an automated risk engine, and you go ahead. You're way deeper on this than me, but so it's, it's not, how we calculate it's not a risk. risk engine. So we're using the we're using the ServiceNow uh, policy. So yeah, I guess, I guess it's, it's like a, it's like a metric, right? We're trying to measure as best possible. Still subjective. It's still got issues. It's never going to be perfect. But we're trying to, as, as close as possible, try to quantify the performance of a developer based on their history. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, based on their history, amongst many other things, right? So one of the one of the so, uh, there's a few tools out there that'll do similar stuff. One of the cool things about doing in ServiceNow is you get a lot of the organizational data that doesn't exist with the technical tools. So ServiceNow is aware of the organizations, where the hierarchy is aware of the tenure, right? How long you've been at the company. It's aware of your title, you're a senior, you're a junior, you're an intern. Uh, it's aware of your promotions, right? So there's all these different things that you, we can start taking into consideration as well as all your technical data. So things like um, basically your, your development habits, right? Are you, are you going under a rock for a month and then releasing a thousand lines at a time? Or are you committing daily uh, and you're just merging whatever you've got worked on and testing that and doing your bills and so on? So, so, so we look for these good kind of good habits versus bad habits, and we try to come up with a score. Like rollbacks is one of them, um, uh, reverts is one of them. We look at uh, commit size, right? Change. I think in in the Git world, it's called ch- uh, change size, size change, something like that. Basically, how many net adds and net removes, right? Right. Files that are being in right, exchange. Right. Right. And then you look at things like are you refactoring or are you developing? Because you oh, want to take awesome. that into consideration. If you're refactoring, it's an existing file, you're just refactoring some of it then you don't get as many points as if you're building that new code. So we look at all these different things. Yeah, so just for, you're super deep in this, and I, I almost used the buzzword refactoring earlier when you were talking. So for anybody that doesn't know refactoring, it's that idea yeah. of what he kept saying is developers love to refactor code. I read an amazing, it's either a book or an article, I can't remember now, but it was saying that while developers would spend all of their days refactoring their tech debt, which so refactoring is taking code from 400 lines down to as streamlined as possible of getting a function to work. So yeah. 400 lines down to 50 or 10 is that's called refactoring. So um, 
the the challenge is a lot of companies won't fund refactoring projects because yeah. they want their developers writing new features or new stories and burning down backlog. So there's all this tech debt built up yep. of and website performance is getting crushed because they're not allowing these developers time to burn down yeah. their their refactoring tech debt. Yeah. But anyway, different topic. But yeah, optimizing. Um, that's awesome that you actually take yeah. refactoring into the. You you try to right. You know you're never gonna get it. You're never always gonna get it right. But you try to you try to determine if it's a refactor if it's that new code um, based on the file changes and what files are part of the commit, etc. Um, so we take all we try to take all that into consideration. And we try to come up with a score of one number. You roll all this up into one number. Um, it could you could argue it's controversial yes you could argue it's subjective yes but if everyone's using the same number then that number can be used in some objective manner right well and so this is the conversation that's always controversial and it's amazing because uh i think you're probably in the early reviewer list as well but gene's new book the the unicorn project right so he's got those five tenants and i just shared this on linkedin and in his blog that he talks about it but the five tenants one of them one of them is the key tenant that I think keeps a lot of companies from being successful. And it's the fact that it's called psychological safety. Yep. And when you start talking about a performance score, I mean, it's I can tell you, when I, when I go back to my Bank of America days, every single person that's tenured at Bank of America would be like, oh, you're totally just going to use that to fire the top, you know, yeah. the bottom 60% next year. You're going to just take those scores and use that against people. And so that's that psychological yeah. carrot versus stick conversation that has to change culturally first. But the carrot is supposed to be when you have a credit, it's that's why I call it the credit score because, or karma, if you're a spiritual dude, right? Then it's, (laughs) if I get a high enough karma score, I go to heaven. Uh, The idea is that with, or the credit score is when you have a high enough credit score, we give you access to production. Right. And so you get this greater access to automation and you get this greater access to production without being hindered. Yeah. So that's the whole idea is the carrot of the performance based scoring. Yeah. Yeah. So, so access to production. No, nobody ever needs to access production ever. (laughs) Never log into production server. Rule number one. Right. But even automatically pushing code. Deploying 100% all day. Right. And I think it's um, like you talk about gamification, right? Like how do you use that? And it's exactly, it's like, use in a condescending manner and say hey if you're below x you're fired or you can say hey the top three each month are going to get a free week off yeah so you just like you've completely turned the dynamic and you're nobody's <laughs> is it risk. sad that the psychological safety in my head went yeah you can have a free week off but you're never gonna get to take that time but let's well, see that's sure, exactly culture that's again is like yeah, you've got to like, be able to actually give them time you, off you get a reward that okay <laughs> here, here's a 500 gift card every cash money fun, right exactly cash talks right? make it rain uh, instead of saying hey we have these scores. Nobody's doing anything about them, but we have them. Right. And if we need them, we're going to use them. Just gamify it. Or what, what's five hundred bucks? It's a, it's a, it's an outing, right? I don't right, know. Right. It's a dinner. Yeah. Uh, but it goes. If someone gave me five hundred bucks, oh yeah, I'll write better code all day, right? <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So um, gamification, I think, and not just not just as it pertains to Dev Karma. Um, generally, gamification is a good way for that psychological safety layer, right? Is you're, we're not going to fire you. And I think another one I touched on earlier is if something breaks, it's the fault of the system. Right. It's not the fault of the engineer. Nobody yeah. wakes up and says, today I feel like taking the site down. Let me go do that, right? No, nobody wakes up and says that. No. But if you can get to a point where... I can tell you I never purposefully wrote a bad line of code. I just really suck. Yeah, exactly. You don't wake up and say, hey... I always had the greatest intentions. It's, <laughs> you got to come to terms with that, right? You can't fire someone for writing bad code. Um you you, you you just gotta the whole culture and, and this is the challenging part with these transformations are not easy because 
it's hard to change that culture and it has to be a, a top-down shift it can't be oh yeah uh, uh, we're gonna start this whole thing where if something's broken it's the system and then two weeks later someone takes a site down and your SVP is all pissed off right you can't be right you gotta come to terms that this is gonna happen everyone's human right and you gotta find a way and what it takes time to kind of adjust and to adapt but you get once you get over that hump you get to a level where everyone's a lot more uh, you build the velocity you build the momentum there's less fear right? there's, there's, you get to a point where everyone's like alright everyone knows I'm not going to get fired I'm going to write good code I might, I'm going to make mistakes we all make mistakes I click this button and it rolls it back and I'm good to go right so yeah I'm actually so jealous nowadays of like younger dudes coming up or dudes being very <laughs> gender biased there sorry younger folks in our industry yep. coming up uh, who are you know they just they're never going to see the stress we saw yeah. like yeah, I, I, my hair used to be here, like that's where my widow's peak was, <laughs> and these guys were like down here, um, and it's entirely because of the fact that like, since two thousand five, I think that's when I went over and worked with Kasha. Yeah, EMC days. Two thousand five is when I kind of entered the world of disaster recovery and CDP, continuous data yeah. protection, and yeah, all this crap. Yeah, yeah. And we were living in a world where we knew failures were coming, but we were physically limited. Yep. By the amount of data that we needed to move, yep. the amount of bandwidth that was available in the sure. literally in the industry, physics. it's physics. Yeah. It was just physics, yeah. and so we never had this luxury yeah. that we have today, today yeah. because once developers figured out how to change the entire dynamic of code, and so that things weren't stateful, things were completely stateless, could run in multiple data centers at once, they figured out the data yeah. and the transfers. I mean, that now is yeah. so incredible that, and, and the reason I triggered on that was because. In my world, our view was something's going to break and then it's going to be a race. Yeah. We are going to be exposed for X amount of minutes, days, hours, whatever. And then we have to fail over. We're going to lose data. We're going to, we know we're going to lose some yeah. amount of data, but we got to minimize it. And it's like in the new world, if, if, you, can reach, if you can change that whole view, that's a non-topic. It's yeah. like if you build the system to be able to withhold and you built the architecture correctly, to withstand errors and failures and like blue green and canaries yeah. and all that other stuff then you can minimize your impact right Build layers yeah totally which like i said i'm jealous because yeah. growing up in that it world it would be so much less stressful because i know a lot yeah. of my friends were uh, stressed out I, our whole careers i was definitely very 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 fortunate to have been at wayfair when i was um and i i think you're jealous i'm i i, I would not have been lucky enough if I hadn't been at the right place at the right time. And I think, I, I don't say this enough, but if I hadn't been at Wayfair during the, the three years I was there, I would have missed out on all that, right? Just wow. the, the talent, the engineering levels. Uh, and that's why I always say, I'll, I'll go back there tomorrow if, if everything goes belly up and I need a job. I mean, they might not take me. They might say, no, I don't need you anymore. And they probably will. Um, but that's the first place I'd go, right? I'd, I'd go knocking on that door and say, hey, I'd love to work back. Your again. humility is astounding. Man. Nah, it's, it's a great, it's really like the people there learn a ton, ton from. And I, I bet if I was still there, I could still learn a ton from. Like, yeah. I, like a, a hallway conversation would be, and if anyone from Wayfair hears this, they'll know who I'm talking about. It would be like, oh yeah, back in the 80s when I worked for Intel and designed like the, the semiconductor, this, that, and the other thing, uh, they wouldn't let me put my name in the code because it was a classified project. And I was like, holy crap, right? Like that, that's the caliber of people you're like, oh, when I worked in the FBI and I did this, that, and that, I, I couldn't get credit for it because it was top secret. And I was like, that's wow. Incredible. So you, you're exposed to that on a daily basis. And you're like, wow, like you can really ask these people anything. And, and they'd have 
that have answers and answers and answers. Great. It's really, really cool. Very cool. Yeah, for sure. So back to the karma thing, you know, I, <laughs> you really love the karma. Ah, dude, I love that thing. Well, because so here's the, get on the store. The only reason, yeah, you got to get that on the store. Yeah. So first sure. off, I tell every customer about it when I'm speaking. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. So our very, so there's two things I wanted to touch on before we get off that topic. But the first was like a very simple, so we built in, uh, we, I had nothing to do with it. Like it's <laughs> the, the DevOps engineering team who are brilliant. Thank you guys. Uh, but they built in like a very rudimentary thing right off the bat just to kind of showcase the committer score for yeah. us, right? Yeah. Which is I like, I've seen it, yeah. Right, right. And it's, I mean, I don't think anybody will ever use it as a, as a metric per sure. se. And if they do, it is very rudimentary. Okay, so it's, you start at a 50. Yeah. When you have a successful job runs, we calculate, we add three points to your score. So and then if job you, run? Yeah, it's based on job run. Okay. And if your job run fails, that's cool. Then we subtract three from your score. Got so it. it's super rudimentary. Got it. It's, it's, Got it. They call it the black box, kind of out of the box demo of, you know, what we're doing with yeah. computer score. So That's it's just cool. supposed to give somebody like a baseline to see how did we do that? How do we? Right. And then you can go in there and you can add whatever KPIs you have. Well, that's the thing, right? You guys have like 17 different? Yeah, we use 17 metrics. That's all for their number. Um, ah, now I know why we didn't put it on the store. Ah, because, spark of memory. Yeah, because we didn't want to put the logic on... The instances we wanted to build an app that you would call with the metrics, um, we would generate the score and send it back. That's exactly why. Yeah, very right. nice. Light bulb just went off. We didn't want to put we didn't want to put our our logic on every single service now instance where you could go and reverse engineer it. Ah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I think that's too much work. We'll probably just strip it out. But yeah, now I know why it has a bonus. There you go. Yeah, seventeen metrics. Yeah, I reminded you. Well, metrics. the seventeen metrics is huge because you know. Yeah, we had to do a lot of tweaking to get it to work right. Um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a scalable map because when we first did it you'd be like your score is like two, three, four, and then like 7,000 right and it's like well what happened okay when I feel like go back and like tune in we do like multipliers and all this other crap well yeah so you mentioned gamification and that was what uh, so Colin O'Brien huge shout out to Colin he's one of the smartest yeah, dudes I know yeah he's a good guy um, but he says that like yeah people will start to game if you're using it incorrectly people will gamify it themselves against, oh, yeah. against the system oh, yeah. And like, even if you know the metrics, like the successful job runs, then I'll just send, like, I'll change the yeah. name of one thing, job run, yeah. name of one thing, white, job run. White space deploys <laughs> yeah. all day. Exactly. Yeah. And so that is where like, you have to use this stuff correctly yep. so that it can be beneficial. Totally. Um, totally. Um, so anyway, but <laughs> these are good mics. That's going to be picked up for sure. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Someone just walked by with their uh, FaceTime. I think they're talking to their kids or something. Yeah. yeah. So, so go back to your. You were talking about the seventeen metrics and how you guys had to tweak it and tune it to get it uh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So one other thought, if you're bringing back yours, was yeah. uh, at the bank we were trying to implement SAML. SAML. Uh, yeah. Is okay. it SAML or SAML? Yeah. SAML. S A M L authentication. Uh, no, 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 no. S E M M L E. Uh, SAML. They SAML. just got bought got by. Okay. 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 I think Microsoft bought them. Okay. Cool. Microsoft or Google. Got it. What do they do? I'll have to go Google. So they were like kind of cutting edge. And what they were able to do was dig. It was actually from the second I'm in the IDE. Yeah. Listen to me. Old school developer IDE. Yeah. The new cool kids don't even use IDEs. Yeah. Uh, so if you're in GitHub, you would commit your, you know, you'd sure. commit your code. Um, and when you do a commit, one of the things, it's basically code scanning. Yeah. So it would scan your code that you're about to commit before it would ever build. And it okay. had all these pattern recognition built into uh, it yeah, yeah, to yeah, look yeah, for, yeah. you know, recursive queries to look for, you know, and it was basically trying to get capture code quality uh, metrics yeah. before it actually you even made built. The commit. Yeah. That's cool. And so they were doing some really advanced things, but 
the sales pitch to me, what, what you know, I always tell the story that when I was there, I was getting sales pitches every day. Sure, like everybody right. wanted to sell to me, right. but but these guys actually, I had like three meetings with them and was moving forward because they caught my attention because they said at one point they go, we are trying to implement a system that allows you to get visibility into the developers. Yeah. So you know the difference between a person that only writes three releases a month, yep. but has never written a bug in 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And every single line of code they read is, is refactored yep. as possible, yep. and it's perfect. Yep. Whereas you might get a knucklehead like Eric Ledyard who commits 100 commits a month, of but 98 of those were fixing bugs, the yeah. bugs that he's caused <laughs> with the two that he submitted at the beginning of the month. right? Yeah. And But it's that difference, because yeah. if I just look at one metric... You can't tell. If it's just committers uh, commits per month, I, I do that demo every day showing our yeah. insights. Yeah. If you only look at commits per month, you'd be like, Eric Ledyard's the winner. That guy only did three commits yeah. this month. Eric did 100. But if, if you get all these other yep. factors, then you start seeing, well, Eric Ledyard wrote 98 bug fixes for bugs he caused. Oh, yeah. Or lines <laughs> and of code. this or person whatever. hasn't introduced a bug in two years. Yeah, and exactly. so, yeah, so it's, it's, it's that new. multiple KPI and the multiple yeah. lenses that you're looking at. Yeah. Uh, well, well with the new product, you can, I mean, so, you can run like Sonar Cube scans and bring that data in, right? Yeah. And factor that into all your, 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 uh, I mean, the, the, the cool thing is that it's structured data. So it doesn't matter what tool it's coming in from, it just becomes normalized and consumable. And then you can use that for whatever reason. So I think that's pretty cool that there's a lot of value in being able to normalize data from whatever tool dev devs want to use, right? And then just put it in the middle capture it and then and then leverage it for metrics leverage it for approvals for, for whatever the use case may be so you just ignited another light bulb in my head um so one of the geeked out things we're already over an hour but that's okay um this will be i think worthwhile Quick, yeah. but the uh the big piece that we released in one six so you're 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 closer to our code base than even i am i like get updates <laughs> from product but you're actually doing this stuff every day uh but one six brought out packageable integrations yeah so help me tell a better story on this because i often tell customers and people that I'm presenting this to, I'm like, everybody and their brother says they can integrate with every tool. Yeah. But what they mean is a very painful integration that's API based. You'd have to know my data model. You'd have to know every function call. You'd right. have to know all of my, uh, you know, transform mapping that you'd yeah. have to do perfectly. My understanding of our packageable integrations is that that takes all that off the table and it makes it really easy to integrate just using Flow Designer. And my understanding of it, very rudimentally, Kit gave me Kit, Corey, huge props. Yes. He tried to explain this to Take me and it. I probably wasn't uh, probably wasn't getting it. But he said basically there's like we have coding tools, execution tools, we have testing yep. tools, we have all these Fine. stuff. Yeah. And they build one master workflow in Flow Designer that says, here's the four functions that we need you to, to actually meet. And then if you have anything else custom, you just build a subflow for it. But they don't have to know all the underlying APIs or all the okay. data models or anything else. Interesting. Is that have you seen that? Have you worked I'm with that yet? Not. I've worked with the underlying APIs. We're building yeah. a Azure DevOps integration for it right now. Oh yeah, you can plug that too because that comes out right when we GA this. We're releasing it with GA. Yeah, so we'll have Azure. Any any customer that decides to work with us, we're giving it away for free. Um, but we will support Azure DevOps. But that's not using this new integrate. That's actually using the. Um, uh, the API that was built, and I, I don't I have, I have to connect with Kit on that, but uh, I don't I didn't know about that. I gotta check it out. That yeah, might it was, make our life a lot easier. Yeah, he was he was explaining it to me, and it was the yeah. So in one five we came out with our API, yep. and then in one six a month later we came out with these packageable integrations, which right. are they seem super cool to me. And nice. I, Kit, if I let you down, I'm sorry, but um, but that's how it was explained to me, yeah. and to me it seemed to just make sense. It was yeah, like yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it's pre-built and you just, it sounds like you're just referencing variables through the flow instead of having to make API calls. 
That was that was kind of how I understood it. Yeah, yeah, that's how you explained it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad it came through, but I, I I don't know if it's true. So Kit can keep me honest. Yeah, I'll take his brain, and everybody maybe else can flame me if this, I'm wrong. After this podcast, he's still on West Coast. No, he's East Coast. Now. He's in Orlando now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Florida. He's a Floridian. Florida, Florida. Yeah, nice. That we, just, we just gave away his uh, his city, the place that never <laughs> changes. <laughs> oh uh, man. But yeah, anyway, man. This so, has been cool. Yeah, it's been really So cool. you guys did all API-based integrations, yeah? Yes. And yes. so, uh, ex- I mean, have you, how has been your experience with that? Because I'd love to get yeah. some real world. Yeah, it's, it's been really I always it's say we are, the, we are like the enterprise message bus for service management and for all these things. And it's super easy to integrate yeah. with us. Am I lying? Or no, you're not. Is the system really easy to work it's with? Pretty easy, yeah. It's um, The product is pretty easy to work with. It's just structured tables and it's very well uh, very well documented. Um, yeah, it is. It's easy to work with. I think um, the challenge might be transforming some of the payloads from the tools coming into ServiceNow. Uh, there's obviously a few ways to tackle that, right? Either in ServiceNow or putting an application in the middle, which is the route we took just because of scalability. But yeah, it's it's super simple. It's really easy to use, absolutely. We use it for everything. I mean, all our 95% of our work in ServiceNow is, is API-driven, code-driven. Nice. Not, not a lot of UI, yeah. Well, flow designer too, but that you can lump that into the same category, right. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think the whole reason the packageable integrations came out is because kind of the future of ServiceNow is to go all through integration hub yeah. as much as possible. Yeah, which um, makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Cool, man. Anything else you want to touch on? I think I could talk to you for ten hours. Yeah, but I, I don't think anybody will listen. Yeah, to like it. yesterday, right? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, this is good. It's it's been pretty long. It's been what an hour and eight minutes. Yeah. I wonder if everyone's gonna get to the end. Let's put like a little a little secret like a uh, code at the end. And say if you if, <laughs> if you, you got if here you, if you got this far, uh, you're entitled to a uh, hundred hours of free uh, wrapped up work with any with any any contract you sign. How's that? I love it. That's good, right? That's we'll see great. You to the end. Yeah, that's a hell of a awesome. that's a hell of a tag. Hundred hours, yeah, that's a lot. That's thirty thousand dollars worth of value right there. Get to the end. Hundred hours of this. Not me. No, I'm not. This, this is the guys. It's the guys that do the work. Oh, you're so humble. Let's see who gets to it. That's I love cool. it, man. Yeah. Thank you so cool, much. Eric, this was thanks, awesome. Man. Appreciate it. Very formal. Give yeah. me a, a normal. <laughs> thanks, Dan. Bye, guys. Take care.